Support for Redeeming Eli comes from the Buck P. Mitchell Foundation, efficiently avoiding tax since 1974. Previously on Redeeming Eli. Slam my balls in a microwave. Toddlers, Liam Neeson. There's a, like a man who owns a lot of bats. A man came up to me, kissed me hard on the mouth. Like a hippo with a bonnet on. A gust of wind took the towel away, carrying it far out to sea. And uh, also, he's got a short film coming up that he's doing with Zach Braff. Lovely woman, very good at bridge. George, the large metal bin. Many things separate man from beast. Our complex language, our ability to empathise with others outside of our immediate family, the way that one of us one day invented the bowl. Of course, some animals seem closer to us than others, like those chimpanzees that smoke, but even they chuck their shit about and would tear off your jaw for a handful of bananas. The big difference between man and beast? Fire. Even a smoking chimp has to ask a human to light his cigar. Think about the last time you looked at a candle. You weren't looking at the wax shaft, were you? No, you were looking at the flame. Humans are naturally drawn to flames because back when we were living in caves, a fire was the difference between life and a much colder life. And that is at the heart of why, in the candle industry, the holy grail is to make a candle that never goes out. Throughout history, many people have claimed to have done it, Back in 1825, when the candle industry first took off in the candle village of Clankeeg, a local man, William Porter, claimed that he had created such a candle. When it was revealed that he was a fraud, the local people were so angry and disappointed, he was pulled from his horse and beaten to death by maids. The people of Clankeeg shouldn't have got their hopes up, though. Any scientist will be able to tell you that a never-ending candle could never exist. Eventually, any candle will run out of fuel and the flame must go out. And so it is with this story. I've reached the realisation that everything happens for a reason. We are naught but twigs on the shoulders of a mighty, mighty stream. And whatever happens in this world is done for a reason. It doesn't matter if if you, you know, if I'm a cow on a belt, if I'm an albatross uh, in the direct line of fire of a a lump hammer, if I'm I'm a a dolphin... um, or if I'm me in here, right? Everything happens for a reason. From the Beef and Dairy Network, this is the final part of Redeeming Eli. This is the news at 10 o'clock. A former slaughterhouse owner, Eli Roberts, was given a six-month sentence today for an assault carried out in the courtroom while he was on trial for the murder of Peter Cranach, a crime for which he was later found not guilty. Mr. Roberts will serve his sentence at Parkhurst Prison on the Isle of Wight. It was revealed today that the German Chancellor Angela Merkel has never eaten fish. After the trials, I got back into my work for the Beef and Dairy Network, attending the Manchester Beef Throwing Championships, and as the hot flanks of meat span and tumbled through the air before slapping down onto the upturned faces of the children below, I, for the first time in months, stopped thinking about Eli. But when I returned from Manchester, a letter lay on the doormat, a letter from Eli. The letter explained that although to begin with he had been angry with me and had blamed me for his predicament, he was making the most of his time in prison and he wanted to invite me to see how he was, in his words, thriving. I don't know what it was, but I couldn't resist. I booked a ticket on the next ferry to the Isle of Wight. Arriving at the prison, a large Victorian red brick building, 
I assumed I would be meeting Eli in a visiting room, but the woman on reception told me that I would be meeting him in the governor's office. In the governor's office, Eli was sitting behind the desk, his huge feet up on the table, his trademark grin spread across his face. Since I had arrived, there was something strange about the atmosphere, especially the way the staff looked at me and spoke to me. It was like they were worried about something, maybe worried about me. I began by putting this to Eli. Before I came in, I was right. speaking to the, the policeman there. Yeah, and Dave. Yeah. Nice fella. Yeah, very nice. He seemed very concerned about my personal safety. Right. And um, you can tell that because he'd given me this... It's a rifle. He described it as an elephant gun. This yeah. is a gun that people used to take down a, a charging elephant. Well, you don't need a gun that big for an elephant for a kickoff. You know what I mean? I've taken down an elephant, albeit a baby elephant, with a snooker ball and a sock. We had a, we had a school trip where the kids were little... Uh, the Bristol Zoo, and one of the uh, one of the elephants there was 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 playing funny buggers. He stole my daughter's ice cream, so all I did was I always carry a snooker ball anyway. You never know you're going to need one. Put a snooker ball on a sock, and I just swung it and just caught him just where his big flappy ears joined the head, but there, and he just went down like a sack of shit. This, uh, but that was a baby elephant, mine. Um, but his man was all, was looking over there and blowing blowing her bloody trunk. You know, she come over anyway. Long story short, right? I mean, little girl's crying, but I got her another ice cream and this elephant's on the floor bleeding out of his ears. And the mother came over and uh, gave me that look, like, trying to intimidate me, I think she was. I thought, I don't know. And I said to her in very plain English, because I think, I think they understand tone of voice more than anything else. I said, if you don't fucking wind your neck in sunshine, right? I'll tie that big ugly trunk of yours in a knot. I'll jam some pepper up the end of it and watch you blow your own brains out. And that can happen. That can happen. Uh, just black pepper? Any pepper. Ground pepper, but you can use anything you like, really. Daz. You know, if, whatever's to hand. Anything, any irritant. Um, and that's the marvel thing about, it, about an elephant. You tie, you tie your trunk in a knot and it will blow his own brains out. You know. Eli seemed cheerful, chilled out back to his old self. And although I don't think you're ever truly safe in his presence, I began to relax. I asked him about his hitherto secret twin. The thing that's been interesting for me is that I've spoken to lots of the residents of your home village of right. Shanky. Like who? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you the names. You know, you've lived there your entire life and they've lived there their entire lives. Right. And they had no idea that, that there were two Eli Robertses. Well, it's none of their business, is it? How, how is that possible? That Candle dip in nutcases. What's going to do with them? But you would just assume that they would know... If they were... Oh, those waxy bastards don't have their arse on their elbow. Don't worry about that. They know nothing. My father had a guts for them and he walked off into the forest, old Russian Nicky. My mum's a recluse because of those idiots. Nothing but trouble from them and I've done nothing but good for them. My whole life is dedicated to Clankeeg. A lot of the people in Clankeeg I've spoken to... Right. And, and you might not like to hear this, were quite pleased when, when you were convicted of this oh I'm quite sure they were as well they're quite happy enough to take my money though aren't they they'll take the 20 quid compensation when they've lost their arm is that what you'd give them 20 pounds well not always I mean if they, it depends on how long you've been working there like, but I mean oh yeah they're, they're happy enough then aren't they my little Johnny's eyes have come out because he got sprayed in the in the eyes with, with caustic soda oh sorry Mavis here's five you know here's a five quid Go and like, take him down the cinema or something, right? 
and then suddenly the same person can't wait to stick their knife in your back. So you're saying that you, you feel betrayed by these people? Because... Of course I've been betrayed by him. I've been here, haven't I? Where's my character witnesses in court? Not a single person came up there and put their name to old Eli. No one told me what a philanthropist I was. No one told me what a, what a concerned businessman he was. No one told me what charity work. When you mention charity work, do you mean making them work for free in your yes, time? Yes, right. of course. In what sense is that charity work? Well, charities, you don't get paid for a charity. That's what it is by definition, isn't it? If you go and volunteer for the Red Cross, you're a charity worker, you're not getting paid. Right. Those people work for me without getting paid. So they were volunteering they, for a charity? Yes. Right. I run a charity. People come to work for me for nothing. It's a charity. Eli told me that the other Eli had gone back to live in Clankeeg, and I was surprised. Do you not think that after all of this, that there may have been some wisdom in maybe just staying away from Clankeeg and maybe trying to start somewhere else? Do you have no concept of what home means? To have... To have, to have, to, to have your whole life invested in a place and its people and its culture and to feel the very fibres have been entwined with the fibres of the place where you were born and you grew up. I mean, I wasn't born there. I was born in Russia, but it, it took to me in Lankeeg. I know they got a very long and illustrious candle history, but to me, I was the wick. I was the very wick of that town and they were the wax to my wick and, and, and wax will burn. And they can read into that whatever they want to read into it. But I'm telling you, wax will burn. Sensing that I ought to change the subject, I asked Eli about prison life. I won't deny it. When he, when he came out of, the, uh, out of the van into the prison for the first time, I thought, oh, what am I doing here, right? What, am I, what, have, what have I done to deserve this? And I was bitter and I was resentful and I was, I was full of rage and anger. Uh, and, I, and I knew, I mean, I've read about Oh, it's very important on your first day in prison to sit out of your stall, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a living hell. And they say, I'd read, I'd read a book once saying, you find the biggest bloke on the block and you, you give him a smack and you sort of say, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to get pushed around, right? I've been on this spinning rock for the best part of 60 years, right? And I got what I am today by not towing the line. And first day in prison, my advice would be, you find the smallest person in prison. You can pummeled the shit out of him. And I mean, I I kept hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. Sorry, who, who is this that you were... You I don't to? know his name. Little fella. Think of um, think of Danny DeVito. But imagine Danny DeVito hadn't had a Hollywood lifestyle. He hasn't lived in California. So he didn't have that rich, deep tan that DeVito's got. Um, he hasn't had a life of, of canapes and, 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 and champagne. You know, he's, he's, imagine an emaciated, very pale Danny DeVito. Right? I, can, I can picture it, yeah. Well, what I did to him was, I mean, if I'm honest, I, mean, I, I don't shock easily. It was out of order. I mean, I really did give him a hiding. You, sh- you shocked yourself? I shocked myself. I, I, I was appalled, to be honest. The things I did to this fella, there was boys in the inner cell block throwing up, and these are hardened criminals. And did he feel and any sense of guilt when he was doing it? Because this guy hasn't done guilt. anything to... Well, if he hadn't done anything, he wouldn't be in prison. That was my rationale in the first place. So you always said wrong one. I think it was tax, I think. I don't know what it was. I don't care. But um, what I did feel at the end of it was this tremendous surge of pride. And I remember I ripped my... I had this prison uh, issue, like a, like, a, like a shirt, like a grey flannel. Well, similar to the one I've got on now. And I just ripped it off. Oh, like a magnificent beast. 
and I roared like a primal scream it was and the whole place like including Dave on the door there they looked and they, they couldn't believe I mean the ones who weren't being ill just thought there's a man now there is a man who lives by his own rules now this is a nice introduction really to something I wanted to talk to you about mm. which was that as soon as I came into the prison Every time I spoke to anyone, there was a woman on reception who I spoke to. In the oh, Dillis. Dillis, yep. And then, nice I, then I spoke to uh, Dave, who, who brought me through here. Yeah. And I would say, I'm here to see Eli Roberts. And they corrected me and, and said, oh, you mean the governor? Right. And they were referring to you as the governor. The governor, yeah. The, the, as in, like, the boss, yeah. Because that's the thing. There is a governor of, of the prison. Well, there was, yeah. Called uh, uh, Peter Fairclough. Peter, yeah. Yeah. He, there's his picture on the wall. Yeah, that's right. So he's the governor, really, of the, of the prison. So why... Well, you've got to chat with him. He's in my cell. Cell block B. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm dancing around the point here a bit. Right. What have you done here? Just applied uh, survival of the fittest, like, like, in, like in any other sphere of a human endeavour, you know. So I came here. Peter, Peter was a nice enough bloke, but weak. So I said, oh, I had a little chat with him after I smashed in Danny DeVito. And uh, I said, hey, Pete, I'm sorry about uh, Mr. DeVito, but, you know, you've got to set the stall out early doors. He said I was, uh, was going to be in trouble because of the DeVito incident and uh, I was going to go into solitary confinement. And I said I wasn't prepared to do that. And he said it wasn't a choice. I said, well, it is a choice. And he said, well, no, I'm not asking you to I'm telling you that's what you are going to do. I said, you know, listen to me, Peter. I'm not doing it. At which point he called a couple of the guards in. They were easy enough to deal with. I got one with a, with a, you know, the sort of spike you put receipts on. Yep. I got him right in the temple over there. And then his buddy came over then. Oh, you've killed him. I said, he's not killed him. He's just, he's just bleeding. I said, get him out of here. And Peter, by this point, had, and I physically soiled himself, right? And Peter said, oh, get deal with him, quick deal with him because by this point now he was completely naked he'd stripped off because I, I didn't want them to have any purchase on me and uh, the second fella there I, I managed to just reach, reach around to grab his taser off him and I tasered him using the floor convulsing the other fella was, was bleeding out of the temple there but it, I didn't hit it all the way in it was more of a little jab you know I didn't, I didn't want to kill a bloke uh, Peter I said now Peter I've told you before I'm not doing solitary confinement. In fact, I said, in fact, do you know what? Now, I've, I was trying to be nice about it and you tipped me over the edge. I said, in fact, get in my cell. You get in my cell. I'm doing your job. This is my office from now on. Get out. Now, this obviously sounds quite alarming. Mm. You would think that there are processes in place when these things happen. As you said, they did bring in the, the two men who you you tasered and then... And then uh, hit with the receipts spike. Yeah. Um, was there not a, a button he could press which would send the whole place into lockdown? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there is, there's a, the, this, it's called a panic alarm. I mean, there's a big red button there, you know. Um, he didn't have time to reach for that. You know, it's a, we, we forget sometimes. We, we, we have ideas about our station. We forget the fact that we are animals, plain and simple. We are homo sapiens. You know, homo habilis, homo erectus, uh, australopithecus, uh, neanderthalis. I mean, we're just animals, right? You, I see, and God knows I've seen enough animals in absolute terror, and they become frozen. You know, there's that, there's the old saying, oh, I was frozen with fear. It's a, it's a literal thing. And that's what happened to Peter. So it was easy enough then, once that, once that happened, to um, I cut the phone lines. The outside world are not a no wiser. So 
just to summarize, it mm. sounds as if basically you're you're running this prison as as a secret personal fiefdom. I like to think of it as uh, yeah, a fiefdom's a nice word because it, it, it's it's sort of uh, it goes back to that that golden age of when when a, when a man was a man, you know, uh, where if you wanted something, you took it, and people think I'm some sort of you know I, I've heard all sorts of things, all sorts of descriptions of me, but I'm, I'm no better or worse than William the Conqueror. And he was a prince and we became a king, you know, because he was prepared to do what he had to do. Like, you know what I mean? So, uh, so for your, your Battle of Hastings mm. was when you overthrew Peter Fairclough in this room. Yeah. Funny enough, I got some of the boys who were working down in the, in the shop now who were making mailbags before this and making me a tapestry. Making me a, an Eli tapestry of the of the whole event, like the whole arrival at the prison, um, you know the incident with 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 Danny DeVito, the the interview with with uh, Mr. Fairclough, you know the, the two boys coming in, the scuffle, uh, the receipt spike, very much like Harold, King Harold, the receipt spike going into the temple area, they're, they're working on that night and day, you know, don't they? What is your relationship like with the rest of the prisoners? Because if I was a prisoner, mm. I think I would feel conflicted about the governor being overthrown by another prisoner because in one way you might feel like it's quite a good thing to happen. You've got one over on your 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 immediate uh, superiors. Mm. But at the same time, in charge then, you've got someone who there's no oversight from, from above there. There's no government oversight. Uh, it, it's a more chaotic world, isn't what it? What we've got here is the definition of anarchy, right? And I think that's a good thing. And I think if you're in prison, it's all about little victories. You know, I can see him. I, I walk, I do, I do four or five laps of the prison every day, and I, just to, you know, the, people pay tribute as I go past, and uh, you know, little tokens, little things they've made. Um, I go down and check out the how the tapestries coming along. Can you show me anything that they've made you? This is a a bar of soap, yeah. And you can see what they've done, like in one of those brooches on, uh, on in the old days. They've they've carved a profile of my face into there. So like we call that a cameo. Uh, we got a jacket, but yeah, jacket. And that's uh, I mean it's hard to get hold of that. That's gold lame, that is. I wear that for special occasions. Where did they manage to find that material in in the prison? I think Dillis. Uh, I basically bribed. It was more of a threat than a bribe, but um, she brought the material in, and, and the, the boys down there made a. Made a gold lamy jacket for me, so I wear that for uh, you know Sundays and whatever. You put it on, and if I'm doing a service for the boys, I, I'll put that on. When you say service, this is something else I wanted to ask about. Mm. You're obviously well known as a, a religious leader yourself, back in Clanky. Yeah, the chaplaincy here at the at the prison, there is a, a small chapel at the side of the prison, which I noticed as I came in was was on fire. Right, and it just got me thinking about what the kind of religious landscape is like here in in the prison. Well. <sighs> Like an Old Testament Jehovah, really, I, I will not tolerate and I will not brook a false prophet. So I came in here and the chaplain was a nice enough fella. And he told him that the, the Church of Eli was the only church that was recognised in the Free State, you know, as I call it now. That's what you're calling the prison? Eli Free State. Right. Within Eli Free State, the state religion is is the Church of Eli. And uh, he agreed with me eventually, you know, and he, and he, and he set fire to the the chapel there and he's now one of my one of the persuasion you know and in many ways it's like I feel I feel like a Monday Martin Luther because uh, there was a lot of iconography here 
crosses and crucifixes and uh, you know passages from the Bible and, and, and whatnot, and uh, we've set fire to all that. So you've kind of had had your own version of the Reformation. Very much like the Reformation, you know, uh, when you go to see those old root screens in the old churches, they have the faces scraped off and stuff. And uh, same thing here, you know, you, you you won't find any pre-Church of Eli writings or scriptures anywhere. And I think that's something else. In such a short time I've been here, I mean, my congregation has swollen. Well, the the prison holds 2,500 prisoners. Yes. How many of them would you say are now signed up members of the Church of Eli? Uh, it's about, it's two thirds that are currently active members. So it's about, it's about 1,600 active members. And then of course we've had the best part of 900 have died. More after this. Hello, Benjamin Partridge here. I make the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm interrupting this episode, but not for very long, um, to talk to you about the Max Fund Drive. What's the Max Fund Drive? I hear you mumble. It's a two-week fundraising drive uh, for the Maximum Fund Network, the network that this show is on. Now, um, I only do this once a year. Now, a lot of podcasts spend a lot of time talking about donations and Patreons and yada, yada, yada. Uh, And I like the fact that I don't have to do that very often on um, this podcast. In fact, I do it once a year. It is just now. So if you just listen to this once, I promise I won't mention it again for a whole year. So um, here goes. <clears throat> this show is listener supported and we give it away for free. And this is your chance, if you're in a position to do so, uh, to give something back and support the show if that's what you would like to do. The basic message is this. If you like the Beef and Dairy Network uh, and if you think we're worth something and you'd like to support the show, please go to MaximumFun.org donate where you can support the show by becoming a Maximum Fun monthly member. Uh, this is your chance to give back to the show in whatever amount works for you. When you set up your subscription, you stipulate which Maximum Fun shows you listen to and your donation is then equally split between them. So it might just be the Beef and Dairy Network or maybe it's the Beef and Dairy Network and Judge John Hodman and Bullseye and Can I Pet Your Dog and Titan Fights and all the other great um, Maximum Fun uh, podcasts. Now, I put a lot of time into this show, um, more than you probably imagine. But I, what I want to let you know is that making comedy is my job. This is how I make my living. It's not a hobby. And so really, the amount of money that comes in in the fundraising drive basically dictates how much time I can give the show. And last year was my first Max Fund drive. And the money raised uh, last year, and if you are already a, uh, a donor, thank you so much because it's made a huge difference to the amount of time I've been able to spend on the show. And hopefully you've been able to hear the difference. I've been able to invest in some better equipment. And the main thing is that I've been able to have the time to make some more ambitious episodes. And um, I hope you've been enjoying them. Uh, I'm really pleased to be making them and I really want to carry on. You can donate at a wide range of levels uh, from a $5 a month up to the total baller level of $200 a month. Oh my God. If you're still not convinced, if you support the show, you get access to special bonus episodes of every MaxFun podcast, uh, which includes last year's Beef and Dairy Network bonus episode, which was a recording of a live show we did in London, which is really good, uh, if I do say so myself, and features um, a character called uh, David Anus. So if that's your sort of thing, get involved. Also, I've uh, I've made a new bonus episode for this year's drive, um, which is good. And it's made up of um, material that I somehow couldn't fit into the shows that I made this year. Um, And the only way to hear those 
is to sign up as a member. Also, on top of the bonus episodes, which every monthly member will get, there's also a range of pledge gifts. So, for example, if you go up to $10 a month, you receive access to the bonus episodes, plus an enamel pin badge with a design from your favourite Max Fun show. And I have to say, the beef and dairy one this year is absolutely insanely good. On top of that, if you go up to $20 a month, you get access to the bonus episode, plus the pin badge. Uh, you also get a Maximum Fun family cookbook, which is all the recipes written by Maximum Fun podcasters, up to 35 um, You get all of that, plus engraved Max Fun carafe to drink your fizzy beef wine out of. Um, you don't have to drink that out of it. You can drink what you want. There's loads of great pledge gifts. To have a look at the full range of pledge gifts, go to MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Uh, when you do that, select the little box that says that you listen to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, and that way you know that your money is going direct to the making of the show. Um, your donation will come out every month until you cancel your subscription or you change your credit card or you change your name and move to Rio, whichever comes first. And think about it. You can be a bona fide patron of the arts, like a bohemian medieval king, but instead of paying Mozart to be your court organist, it's a guy making stuff up about beef, hunched under a duvet, talking into a microphone in his bedroom. <laughs> so that's MaximumFun.org slash donate. That's MaximumFun.org slash donate. Slash donate. Slat, I'm doing it. Slash donate. In a world where Maximum Fun podcasts are supported by their listeners... One man knows what to do. Hello? I'm Slash Donate. Sorry, who's this? I'm Slash Donate. Slash Donate? That's right. Slash Donate? Slash Donate. What? Slash Donate. Hello? I want to donate. Slash Donate? I would like to be a monthly member. Slash Donate? Do I get to listen to the bonus episodes? Slash Donate? That's right. I'm Slash Donate. MaximumFun.org. Slash Donate. So, okay, let's talk about the, the the experience of prison. Then, if you come and uh, are imprisoned at the the Free State of Eli, because I assume you are still, Eli Free State. Sorry, Eli Free State. I assume you are still getting vans with new prisoners arriving. Yeah, we get about uh, we call it new meat. We get about twenty five in a week. Okay, so let's imagine that I'm one of the guys on the truck. You wouldn't last two seconds. Okay, but let's just as a thought experiment, right? Okay. Imagining someone who could last longer than that. I arrive in the van. Mm. What happens? You're brought in front of me, first of all. I'd say, right, bring it, bring him in. Is he talked? Talked. Talked. Full body talk, yeah. Johnson & Johnson's baby powder editorial. Right? You've been talked, you come in. And I will uh, ask you a couple of simple questions. Uh, you know, would you want to join the Church of Eli? Do you want to be killed? You know, that sort of thing. And the, and the irony is you're, you're incarcerated. But you're, in, in here, you're a free man. You're free to do whatever I tell you to do. You're assigned to either... Uh, you probably end up on tapestry. Right. You, you mean I'll be I'll be sewing the tapestry? Yeah, you'll be on tapestry. Try, try to think of something better than... You wake up in the morning, you'll know that that day, all being well, if you survive, you'll have three good meals, you'll have a roof over your head, and you know, you'll, have, you'll have worked on a tapestry, which will outlive all of us, you know. Tapestries seem quite central to your work here. What? It's telling a tale with thread. I remember going to a, 
be there as a small boy, normally there, with my dad. Uh, he was a at the time he was a guest of of, of the, the the Russian embassy in Paris, and we went up to uh, Bayeux. And I remember looking at that tapestry, thinking, "My God, to have to have you know to have been immortalised in that way." And this was sort of nine hundred years after the event, you know. And I'm just thinking, "Well, what are we in now?" We're in as a small boy, it was should have been the sixties or maybe the fifties. I thought, imagine being in like imagine being in the year twenty five fifty, and there's a an Eli tapestry that tells my whole life. And imagine being part of that for you. I mean, if you were working on that, imagine the amount of tremendous sense of achievement you'd have. So the tapestry that they're, they're making here, down in the shop there, that's going to cover your whole life? Right, yeah. I mean, this is, we're already up to uh, the Peter Fairclough incident. But I like, every every day of my life is literally another another piece of that tapestry. People, people say, oh, life's a tapestry. My life is a tapestry. Can I see it? Yeah, well, I take it down and have a look, yeah. Eli led me deeper into the prison, past rows of inmates who fell silent and bowed their heads. In a cell on the end of one of the rows was a small man who looked like Danny DeVito, or would have done if he hadn't have been covered head to toe in bandages and bleeding from the head, lungs, liver and anus. We arrived in a large room where the completed sections of Eli's life tapestry were being stored. And it was amazing. Huge, stunning, exquisite. One of the most incredible works of art I've ever seen. And bear in mind, I've seen Cliff Trent Roberts' Beef Sistine Chapel. A couple of yards here. Um, here we go, look, you can see it's about, uh, it's about three feet from top to bottom. And currently, uh, you know, several hundred yards long. Obviously, you add to that every day. So there we go. There's a nice scene there. Look, you'll see that the uh, well, there's me. There's the gold jacket there. Look, there it is. Look, this was a this was a meeting of a, a persuasion. I think this was have been two Sundays ago. What's this? About six feet ago. Let's go back. Well, this, is, well, this is my first day in prison. But there, look, this is me with, uh, with Peter and the two uh, the two security boys. Go back. And, oh, oh, it's a funny one. You look. This is uh, just make it out there. Look, I mean, they look. I have a good job. That's me. There's uh, there's an albatross with there. Look, see. And this is me throwing a lump hammer, the sort of hammer that you would take like a pedal off a ship, you know. And this is the and you just come forward a couple of couple of inches there. And there's you see there's the wings and the legs, but there's literally no head left. Just uh, just the hammer there. You know, we're at the end of our own little journey, you and I know, and I am I'm very grateful to you. And um, all that's left to say is I, I look forward to hearing the final edit. You know, and I, I hope you, you've cast me in a, in a positive light. Because if you haven't, remember that I do know where you live. And I will happily peel you and, and, and put you in, a, in, a, in like a vat of salt. When you say peel me... Take your skin off. Like literally cut you, peel your skin off, and then put you in salt alive. In a strange way, I felt glad that Eli had found happiness. He was thriving. But on the ferry home, a couple of things bothered me. Why did Eli trust me not to tell the authorities about what he had done? I mean, he was right to. I I knew the right thing to do was to call the police, but I felt like I had to keep quiet. I felt like we'd been through so much together. 
I felt close to him. Whether he had wanted to or not, he'd revealed so much about himself to me over the previous weeks. It seems strange to say it, but I felt like he was my friend. But other things bothered me. David, for example, the guard who'd given me the elephant rifle, if he was as loyal to Eli as Eli seemed to think, why had he given me the gun? I put it out of my mind until one evening the following week I heard the news. This is the news at 10 o'clock. A prisoner's revolt has taken place at Parkhurst Prison. All communication between the prison and the outside world has been cut, so information is hard to verify. But according to the testimony of a prison guard who managed to escape, the prison governor Peter Fairclough has been confined to a cell by the prisoner Eli Roberts, who is serving a sentence for assault. Mr Fairclough's family released a statement this afternoon citing their extreme... So it seems at the moment that the outside world doesn't know anything about the existence of the Eli Free State. Right. Hasn't been in the paper. No. As far as I can tell, the, the police don't know. <coughs> no. Nobody's raised the alarm. They won't do that. What happens when the outside world does find out about this? Don't you think, for example, that the, the police will try and take back the prison? If they know what's good for them, no. The Parkhurst prison siege is now in its fourth day. There has still been no communication with anyone inside the prison, but Mr Roberts was briefly seen on the roof this afternoon raising a flag bearing the words Eli Free State and shouting foul-mouthed abuse at the police below. The Home Secretary Amber Rudd has described Mr Roberts as a dangerous monster deserving the harshest punishment. OK, what if you wake up one morning, there's a, there's a big bang outside, you wake up, you throw open your windows, mm. you look out... And there's a column of tanks right. from the British Army. And there's a man at the front with a, a, a loud halo and he's going, mm. Mr Roberts, we've come to take back the prison. Right. Well, that's when my tremendous gift of oratory will come to the fore because, I mean, I would reason with the tank commander and with, with those army officers and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not the enemy. I am not the enemy. As the Parkhurst prison siege enters its sixth day, the Home Office have confirmed that unless the leader of the revolt, Eli Roberts, stands down by 8am tomorrow morning, the army will be deployed. The Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, promised fire and fury like the world has never seen. Do you think you could, you could turn the army to being on your side? Well, I think that's the, that is the absolute key to it, really, to success. Because once you've got the, literally got the big guns on side, then everything else is gravy after that, you know? I see that as like a battle of Armageddon, really. You know, when it takes all. I imagine the, the, the feel of ultimate victory after that would be, would be tremendous. And if, and if I lost, I lost fair and square. I don't deserve to win. After a week, the Parkhurst prison siege came to a bloody end earlier today. A column of army tanks, artillery and infantry were dispatched to the prison and had completely encircled the building by half past nine this morning. Eli Roberts, the leader of the revolt, then appeared on the roof of the prison and tried to speak to the tank commander, using the words, Join me, join me and experience ultimate freedom, before firing into the sky with a rifle described by experts as an elephant gun. The army then returned fire on Mr Roberts and within seconds he had been peppered with machine gun fire, roasted with a flamethrower and directly hit by an artillery shell. No body has been recovered, but Mr. Roberts is presumed dead. Dead, 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 dead. I feel blessed. I feel I feel so lucky to have achieved so much.
just so lucky to have to have been alive in a time where a, a good man like myself can thrive. You know, watch your space. Literally, I mean, if you look in the other room there with all the uh, the blank tapestry, you know, watch watch that space. Because as as the years unfold and that tapestry unfolds, I think, you know, when when it's my time to uh, shuffle off this mortal coil, then the tapestry of my life will be a wonderful thing to behold. We're all the, we're all weavers. Be your own weaver, and don't be afraid to take a chance. Don't be afraid to. Uh, to change your thread. Don't be afraid to try that new pattern. Don't be, you know, don't be afraid to uh, experiment. What I, what I say to the boys in the workshop is, you know, this is your life. Your, you are the needle. And your deeds are the threads. And you weave your own life. Not physically, because they're weaving my life. But, you know. Eli was dead. Well, an Eli was dead. Our Eli. I began to sleep better. I realised I hadn't slept properly for months. Years, really. Maybe not since I'd met him. But I wasn't happy. No, he, he was a complicated man. Sure, almost certainly a murderer. But you don't get to choose how you feel. Then, one morning, the postbox clattered, and there were a couple of envelopes on the mat. One was an invitation to a street party in Llanquig, celebrating his demise, and it seemed sick to me. Absolutely sick. The second envelope was smaller, grubbier, battered. I ran my thumb under the flap and tipped the contents onto my coffee table. It was a scrap of fabric. A tapestry. And on the tapestry, the prison being destroyed by tanks and next on the tapestry the figure of Eli battered, bleeding, burned but running away and on his face a grin he's alive the bastard's alive Redeeming Eli is produced by the Beef and Dairy Network thanks to Mike Bubbins and Tom Crowley the German Chancellor Angela Merkel has tried fish for the first time. Mrs Merkel ate a bucket of cod during a parade in honour of German reunification and washed it down with a sweet plum wine. Asked what she thought of the fish, she said that it tasted peculiar. Hello, thank you for listening to the episode and allow me just to talk to you again for a couple of minutes about the uh, Max Fun Drive. I just want to say a huge thanks again to anyone who's already a supporter of the podcast. It makes a huge difference um, and it allows me to make the podcast the best it can be and allow me to keep making it and um, I'm very pleased that people like it enough that they would like to help support it. I know many of you aren't in a position to or um, you just don't want to and that's obviously totally fine. Um, I'm just pleased you're listening really and if you do want to help out the podcast um, in a non-monetary fashion why not leave an iTunes review or uh, tell a friend. I know obviously some of you are thinking hang on isn't the show sponsored by Mitchell's? Um, I just want to clear that up due to some naivety on our part when we set the podcast up we're actually paying them to play their ads yeah <clears throat> all i'd say about that is if you if you've got a lawyer uh before you let them do anything on your behalf do make sure they are actually a lawyer 
So why not do it now? If you're at a computer, pause the podcast, go to maximumfund.org forward slash donate and have a look. If you're operating heavy machinery, turn it off, make sure it's off, pull out your phone and visit maximumfund.org slash donate. Maximumfund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.